All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter number 14. And uh, we're going to read the first four verses um, by way of introduction, and then we'll be in much of the rest of the chapter uh, by way of uh, Bible study this evening. The Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Jesus here is still in the upper room with his disciples. They've not yet departed. In fact, at the end of the chapter, we'll see that Jesus gets them and leaves that upper room. And so here he is comforting them during a time of uh, of tense uh, a tense spirit in that upper room. He's just told them that he's going to leave them. He's going to die. Uh, he's going to go to a place they cannot come. Peter says, well, I'm going to go with you. Jesus says, oh, no, you're not. You're going to deny me three times. The disciples are discouraged. And the rest of this chapter, John 14, Jesus not only encourages them uh, about uh, comfort, but he also talks to them about the importance of having a relationship with them even after he is gone. That really is the theme of John 14. It's that relationship that Jesus wants with his disciples, whether he's here in body or not. And uh, we want to have relationship with the Lord. The title of the sermon tonight is this, A Religion of Relationship. A Religion of Relationship. Lord God, help me as I preach tonight. Uh, give me your power from on high Help me to preach, Lord, in a way that is fire in the pulpit that melts the ice in the pew. And, Lord, I pray each person would come not with a frigid heart, but with a heart that's tender and ready to receive truth. And, Lord, be challenged by it. And so, God, help each of us to hold up our hearts to the standard of the Bible. And, Lord, make those changes where we need to. Lord God, help the people not to come in here, uh, Lord, evaluate the preacher, but Lord, may the preacher be able to preach the word in a way that evaluates each heart. And we pray, God, that we leave here better for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. John 14, we find Jesus with his disciples still in that upper room. Judas Iscariot has departed, and Jesus is preparing his disciples to live life uh, without him physically in their presence. There have been a handful of times when I have left someone's presence to go and live on the other side of the country or even the other side of the globe, and there was a tearful departure as I uh, left the, their presence. I remember my parents dropped me off to college. Some of you remember when you dropped your eldest off at college, and it is a a trail of tears, as they say, coming home. I remember my parents put me and my belongings into the back of the vehicle. I think we borrowed someone's vehicle, and we drove from Baltimore out to uh, northwest Indiana, 12-hour drive, stayed in a hotel the next uh, morning. My dad dropped me off there, and we, got, we huddled together as a family. I was beaming with excitement, ready to go and be off on my own, ready to be independent, uh, ready to be uh, out from underneath my parents' roof, ready to, to, to spread my wings and fly. I remember how excited I was about that, and uh, we gathered together in a circle to pray, and then I look up, and my dad, who I maybe had seen cry one time prior to that, started to cry. 
And I thought, man, he is really, this is really hard on him. And I'm like, I feel bad. I'm not crying. And well, it is what it is. I'm happy to be out on my own, right? And so uh, that tearful departure and this last um, time I went to Peru with my family, not the time on a mission trip, but the time before that, I went to Peru with my family and we were there. My wife was there six weeks. I was there with her the last two weeks and we were in a hotel room in Lima right across from the airport there and uh, Angela's family was with us and uh, we uh, are getting ready to go get on the plane and uh, to go, go, over to, go over to the airport and uh, we're embracing and uh, the uh, tears that were shed, the tears that were shed by Angela and April uh, were, were, were there, but the tears that were shed by Angela's family as they love her and love us so very much. Now that we have video calling and the whatnot, I'm able to get on there and talk with Angela's family quite a bit also, and those heart connections run very deep, and uh, we're getting ready to leave, and I had my little niece's head on my shoulder, and she's She's literally wetting my shoulder with her tears as she was sad to see us leave and depart. And here Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to a place you can't come. And you can feel this heaviness after three and a half years of them uh, sleeping under the stars together and suffering together and and, and and seeing great victory together, and watching the uh, the multitudes be fed, they were involved in that work, and uh, uh, seeing Jesus uh, persecuted by the Pharisees at various synagogues uh, uh, around the country there, and and knowing that Jesus was the King of Kings, he's telling them that he's going to depart, and there is a sadness. About them, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you and go be with my Father in heaven. But don't you worry, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to dwell inside of each of you. He tells them, he says, you know who he is. He's dwelled with you, but now once I leave, he's going to dwell in you. In you. Notice the attention to relationship placed on Christ's words to his disciples. He did not leave us behind so that we could establish rich church traditions and ceremonies. He did not leave us behind so that we would just simply go through a set of religious motions. That's not why He left us behind. I look at church, I look at religion in our country today, and I see a bunch of churches that are growing smaller and smaller and smaller in attendance. A bunch of places that are just hanging on for dear life. Places that have pretty buildings, but hardly the crowd to be able to pay to keep the buildings up to speed and looking nice. Church attendance has been on the decline for several years. In fact, pretty much this whole millennia. But uh, when COVID hit, it really took a big step backwards. And people stopped really going to church. I look at our church, it's been growing over the last year and a half. At least on Sunday morning we're growing. And I hope you understand that that is not normal in our country. We're fixing up our properties. Most churches are just trying to patch the, patch the holes in the walls and change out the light bulbs and afford to do that. 
And you know why that is? Because so many places they have religion, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can go to this church right here, and you can have religion without having a real relationship with the Lord. I don't want just a religion. I want a religion of relationship. I want to ask you this evening, do you have religion? I hope you do. James 1, 26 and 27 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, which is what we're to have, pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widow in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, religion is good. Religion is good, but religion is not good on its own. Religion, void of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is vanity. Religion, void of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is pharisaical. Is pharisaical. And tonight, what I want to talk to you about out of John 14, or what the Word of God is going to speak to us out of this passage, is the heavy importance on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I mean a personal relationship with Jesus. How many minutes do you spend letting the Lord speak to you through His Word each day? How long do you spend in prayer talking to God? You see... We need to have that deep, rich relationship. There are pastors around this country that don't have a relationship with the Lord. There are deacons in churches just like this one. They wield power in a church, but they don't have their own personal relationship with the Lord. There are Sunday school or life group teachers who go to churches like this one. But they don't have their own walk with the Lord. Hey, listen. There are teenagers who know how to dress up and look sharp, go to church, carry their Bible. Well, they know how to do their hair, how to smile, shake hands, be sweet, be be kind. Every old person in the church convinced that they're great. But they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Not a personal one. Hey, I don't care if you know how to wear a tie. I don't care if you know how to match your outfit. What I care about and what the Lord cares about is do you know how to walk with the Lord? Do you have your own relationship with Jesus? And... Before we get into point one, I want to just say this. It's a lot easier to have a relationship with somebody who is in your physical presence. Right? I thank God for our church staff. Once a week or so, I sit down with Marcia back here and we talk about things and talk about her life, talk about Lejeune's life, talk about the church, talk about whatnot. I have a relationship with her. Why? Because she's physically here in the building, in my presence. 
have a relationship with Pastor Andrew. Some of you don't know this, but some Sunday evenings after everybody leaves, we stand around and talk till 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. And I get home and Andrew's like, where have you been? I'm sure he gets the same thing from his wife when he gets home. You were talking that whole time? Yeah, you know why? Because I like him. And I think he likes me. Sometimes. As long as we're not talking about the Steelers, and he likes me. Uh, and as long as we're not talking about sports. And so, uh, you know what? He's physically in my presence. There's a relationship there. And then there's Joe. I love Joe. Joe and uh, Marcia have been by my side the longest on the church staff. And I, uh, I, told, um, I told Joe a few weeks back, I said, if you and Marcia walk in my office on, on a Monday morning and, and quit at the same time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign the next Sunday. I said, I think you two probably run the church more than I do, just from the behind-the-scenes aspect. And just they've been there to hold up my hands for uh, five, six years now. And Joe has just been there for me through thick and thin. You ever seen that? That picture of, um, is it Charlie Brown and Linus sitting on the edge of the, the pier watching the sun go down? And, and one says to the other, um, I've been, we've been through some tough stuff together. And you know what? That's how I kind of feel with Brother Joe. We've been through some things together. It's easy for me to have a relationship with Joe because he's physically in my presence. Can I tell you what's hard? It's hard to walk with the Lord when you can't physically see the Lord. Can we just be honest? If I'm talking to Joe and I get distracted, he's going to be like, hey, whoa, right here. Can we finish this conversation? But if I'm talking to the Lord and I get distracted, the Lord doesn't physically pop up and say, are you going to finish praying? And you know what? Oftentimes, I'm in the middle of praying and I get distracted and the next thing I know, I never finish that prayer. I'm reading my Bible and I get half down the page, and I have no idea what I just read. As my mind is already on to the next thing I'm doing when I'm done reading my Bible. And you know what? God does not reach up and smack me across the back of the head and say, pay attention, I have something you need to get out of that passage. He's not physically in our presence. And He's telling His disciples in John 14, I'm going to go to the side of my Father but I still want to have a relationship with you. It is of the utmost important. When I go and you establish these churches, don't just establish religion. Establish a religion of relationships. Go forth and build that church upon me. I will build my church, Jesus said. It is of the utmost important. We have a religion of relationships. If you go to church on Sunday, but do not spend time with God one-on-one on Monday, then you have a religion, but not a relationship. If you throw out your sinful music, but do not replace it with music that stirs your heart to love God, then you have a religion, but not a relationship. If you clean up your mouth so that you don't curse or take God's name in vain anymore, but yet you don't praise God with your voice and tell others about His saving grace, nor do you pray to the God who saved you, then you have an empty religion, but no relationship. Here Jesus is getting ready to die, and then depart to the right hand of His Father. He challenges His disciples, walk in unity with each other, walk in unity with Me, even after I am gone. Let's look at three truths out of John 14. 
as we consider this sermon title, A Religion of Relationship. All right, point number one, note the word understanding. Understanding. Letter A, we see the disciples' confusion. The disciples' confusion, it is normal for a new believer to be confused about how a relationship with God really works. I had someone sit in my office once and say, praying is hard because I feel like I'm talking to myself. And I just am uncomfortable with this idea of praying to someone. I feel like my prayers are just, my words are just bouncing around the room and I'm just talking to myself. Now, I have no problem with that because I talk to myself all the time. Amen? How many of you like me? You get caught sometimes talking to yourself, all right? It's okay to talk to yourself, so they say, as long as you don't what? You don't answer back. You start answering yourself, now we've got a real problem on our hands, right? And I'm schizophrenic. So am I. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful about that, right? Uh, but uh, listen, we talk to the Lord, and, and, and when you're new to being saved, it can feel a little awkward at first, learning how to pray, learning how to read your Bible and pray. And this whole idea of, of, of walking with God and learning who God is, uh, it can seem difficult. And the disciples here are, after even after three and a half years of walking with Jesus, uh, they're, they're still confused about what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. Now, many people desire to follow Christ, but are confused about who Jesus really is and how all of this works. So letter A, we see the disciples' confusion. Let me give you letter B, then we'll get into the passage here. Notice Christ's clarification. Christ's clarification. Uh, let's see how they're confused, and then we'll see how Christ clarified. Look down at uh, John 14. Look at verse number 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? So you see the confusion here. Jesus says to them, I'm going to the Father, my Father's side to prepare mansions. And, 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 and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Thomas is sitting there going, this guy talks over our heads all the time. We have no idea what he's talking about. Half the time when he gets through preaching, I'm scratching my head thinking, what was that even about? He said, I'm just going to address it straight to the Lord and ask him what he meant by that. And so Jesus says, or Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Look at how Jesus clarifies. He comes right out with it. Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Thomas is confused about how to get to the Father in and, and, and some ambiguous way that he can't seem to figure out. And Jesus clarifies and just comes right out when it says, Thomas, I am the way. He, he's saying, to have a relationship with me, you'll find your way to the Father. So if you'll learn to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then when it's all said and done, you will be in the presence of my Father. So we see the confusion. Thomas is asking a question. A question, how can we know the way? Jesus' clarification, I am the way. Well, Philip also had some confusion. Look down at verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Uh, the Lord clarifies in verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? 
So the Lord says, if you'll follow me, I am the way. And, and if you'll uh, come with me, the way, the truth, and the life, you'll make it right to the Father. Philip is saying here, he's saying, we've heard you tell the Pharisees that you and your Father are the same, but then you talk about the two of you as separate beings. Which one is it, Jesus? Show us the Father. Bring Him to us so that we can see Him. And so Jesus says this. He says, I am the human representation of my Father, we are so unified that to know me is to know my Father, and to know my Father is to know me. Philip, look at me, Philip. Do you know me? Do you know me? Have you spent the last three years of your life in relationship with me? Then you know all you need to know about the Father. Because to know me is to know the Father, and to know the Father is is to know me. So Philip is confused, and the Lord says, Jesus says, get to know me, and you'll know the heart of my Father. So not only was uh, Thomas confused, and then had that clarified, and Philip confused, and had that clarified. Look at verse 22. We see that Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, is also confused. Look at verse 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world. Now, of all of the questions that these disciples asked, or all of these statements, these confused statements that were uh, made, this one to me is the most advanced form of a question. So, uh, Thomas, I would say to Thomas, have you not been listening and watching for three and a half years? How do you not understand that Jesus is the way to heaven? Where have you been, Thomas? He was probably missing an action like he was when you know, Jesus showed up later. And then to Philip, I would say, Philip, this has been explained multiple times with you in the presence of the Pharisees. Were you not listening? Go back to this morning's sermon on uh, remembering. But Judas asks a really good question. He says, okay, Lord, you're going to show yourself to us, but not to the world. How are you going to pull that off? Now, that's a fair question if you don't know anything about how the Holy Ghost works. And so Jesus answers this question. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will... Keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will uh, come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So this is a really good question from Judas. In, in essence, Jesus says, Judas, if you will keep my commandments, and you will obey me, then you will understand the presence of the Father through the form of the Spirit. He will commune to your heart, and you will know Him. The world won't know what it's like to have the Father commune, because they want nothing to do with God, and so they, in essence, won't know. So, let me just say this uh, by way of um, uh, uh, point one here, as it would apply to me and you. Asking questions is of vital importance is of vital importance. I don't want this church to be a place where questions can't be asked. You need to be able to ask questions. It's so very, very important. I'm amazed. I'm amazed, Brother Okai. I've been, uh, uh, I'm 40 years old, coming up on 40. You've been here for about, about the same amount of time I've been alive. Amen? Not to make you feel old. But um, 
I'm amazed how many people have been in church for decades and they don't know the most basic things about the Bible. You know what I mean? It's amazing. You know those things. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about in general. People that don't know. Yes, you do. I've had deep conversations. I know you know your Bible. But I'm amazed how many people sit on a pew and they just don't know. They don't know. Or they believe some things that's just wackadoodle and crazy. And uh, this morning, the sermon was about remembering. And we talked about uh, sensory memory to short-term memory to long-term memory and how when you don't pay attention, something can just go right over your head. Amen? We, we have this, listen, Pastor Brown, Pastor Peslick, Pastor Lejeune, we've, we have fed an appetite to this church for 43 years, 43 years of solid Bible doctrine. Some of you have been here for a decade or more. If you don't know your doctrine, you know why that is? Because you're not listening or, or you're not asking questions. Now, the Bible tells that the ladies are to keep quiet at the church. That doesn't mean they can't talk. But it does mean that when they have a question, if they're married, they're to go home and ask their husband. And their husband is to be their spiritual leader, and he's to answer those questions. And ladies, if your husband's not spiritual or your husband doesn't go to church, then find a deacon or a pastor and on the side ask them, but grow and learn. I'm not here to say these disciples were bad for asking questions. I praise them for that. We need to ask questions. We need to understand. We need to grow in our knowledge of God's Word. We need in, uh, to do that in order to establish that relationship. One more thought here about questions is that children ask questions of their parents all the time. Why? Because they believe their parents have answers. This past week, uh, one of my children asked me a very deep uh, question. Uh, I, I was in the kitchen doing some things and and uh, one of my children just just threw out a question, and, and just for for sake of of, um, of uh, privacy of our home, I'm not going to give who it was or what the question was. But one of my children asked a very deep question. I just had to kind of stop what I was doing, and I had to think about that. And then I asked that child a series of questions, and we had a long discussion about it. You know what happened? Me and that child deepened our relationship because that question was asked. You know what questions do? It offers an opportunity for the person answering the question and the person asking the question to deepen that relationship. Listen up now. This is one of the reasons why we do one-on-one discipleship in this church. Because we want you to sit across from someone who knows the Bible and we want you to be able to ask questions to help you to grow in your knowledge of the Word as well as develop a relationship with that person. If you're here and you've been saved for a long time and you're a part of this church, you should be helping us disciple other people because you get a chance to answer questions and you get a chance to deepen those relationships. So vitally important. That relationship is built on understanding, and that understanding is gained by asking good questions to clarify that confusion. Number one, understanding. Number two, notice the word unity. You can't have any religion of relationship if there is not unity within that relationship. Look with me at John 14 and look at verse number 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Boy, if that verse doesn't scream unity. Wow, look at it again. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, 
and I in you. This is a threefold cord that's just bound together very tightly. The Father, the Son, and the believer just all wound up together uh, where there's a tight unity that's felt. Can you see how all this is uh, all bound together? God the Father in unity with God the Son, who's in unity with me and you, uh, uh, who are uh, in unity with all of the other believers, letter A, uh, in this passage tonight, we see unity between Christ and the Father. Unity between Christ and the Father. Look with me in John 14, look at verse 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, look here, have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest that not that believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So, what's the Lord talking about here? Is is Jesus saying that me and my Father? Are, are one in a sense that uh, there is no distinction. That is not what this is teaching. Jesus is not saying, I am the Father morphed here on earth. That's not what he's teaching. In fact, there's a clear distinction Jesus makes between the Father and himself. So John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with, notice that's together, with God, the Word was God. Rather, the word with means, uh, uh, is a, is a mark of distinction. That word with there literally means face to face. So, distinct from God, yet He is God. And so we know that Jesus was both distinct from God, yet God. What's He saying here? He's saying here, the two of us are in such lockstep unity that it's hard to tell a difference between the two of us. He's saying that if you spent time with me and then you spent time with the Father, what you would come to the conclusion of is that we uh, are in practical sense, we are the same in our spirit, we are the same in our desire, we are the same in our passion, we are the same in our goal. He said, I am my Father, my Father is me. What's he saying here? He's teaching something called compound unity, compound unity, two separate persons who are in such harmony with each other that they are uh, one in heart and one in spirit. Have you ever had a best friend that could finish your thoughts or finish your sentence? You ever had someone that was that close to you that could finish your thoughts or they could look at you and they just about knew what you were thinking uh, or could uh, finish it for you. The other day, somebody said something, and me and Angela were sitting in the same room, and we both had the same expression, the same voice inflection, uh, said the same thing at the same time. I don't know if she caught it, I caught it, and I just kind of sat there and smiled. I, I think back to uh, my years in Baltimore, the church ministry there, uh, an elderly assistant pastor in his upper 70s at the time, uh, Bill Townsend was his name, William Townsend, Bill Townsend, his wife's name was Marjorie, and they had been married for, I think it was pushing 60 years, and when you looked at Bill, you saw Marjorie, when you looked at Marjorie, you saw Bill, in fact, they even started to look like each other in their own way, all right, and um, uh, you'd go ask 
uh, uh, Pastor Townsend a question, and he would give you an answer. And then if you went and asked Marjorie the same question, she would almost say the same thing word for word, uh, say it the same way. And uh, they, uh, they, they were just, uh, you know, the, the idea of leaving, cleaving, and weaving in marriage. You, you leave your father and mother, you cleave to your spouse, and then you two become one flesh. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving, they epitomized the weaving part of marriage. They had become one. And if you were to say, uh, do you know uh, Bill Townsend? Someone says yes. You say, well, then you kind of know Marjorie Townsend as well. And you say, well, do you know Marjorie Townsend? Well, yes. Well, then you kind of know Bill Townsend as well. Now, understand that there are limitations to this because Bill and Marjorie are humans. Bill and Marjorie are sinners. Bill and Marjorie had areas where they were different. Bill and Marjorie were even different genders. And so while they had been married for pushing 60 years and had become uh, as much one as two human beings probably possibly could, the divine God the Father and God the Son, uh, they, they push way past this analogy. And while they are two distinct parts of the Godhead, they're so much alike that Jesus looks at them and says, Do you know me? Well, then you know the Father. Do you know the Father? Well, then you know me, that compound unity. Look down at verse 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye rejoice, because I said I go unto, my, unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it, 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 came, it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I uh, love the Father, and the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. And so they're getting up and leaving the room there. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, if you really loved me, you wouldn't be sad that I'm leaving you. Because I'm going back to the side of my beloved Father. And if you really love me, you'd be excited for me. You'd be excited for me. I get a little jealous when Angela goes to Peru without me and that it's time for her to come home and all of her family is sad that she's coming back. I get why they're sad, but you know why I'm jealous? Because she's my wife. Right? you got to let her go and let her come back to my side. I get even more jealous when she's sad that she's back by my side and <laughs> and not in Peru. Uh, but uh, I get it. I get it. I'm just uh, kind of sharing a little bit there of how that is. But, but listen, uh, uh, the, Jesus is saying to the disciples here, He's saying, I am in such unity with my Father that you've had me for three and a half years. This earth has had me for 33 and a half years, but if you really loved me, you'd be happy that in just short order, I'm going to go back up and be right by my Father's side. The unity between God the Father and God the Son. Now that lays the groundwork for an application to me and you. Letter B. Notice uh, the unity between Christ and His followers. Between Christ and His followers. And I've broken this thought down into two more thoughts. Look with me at John 14 verse 12. Notice there the, the blank. Notice our alliance. Our alliance. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. 
Verse 14 is a bold statement. Jesus is saying that if you will partner with Him, you'll do greater works than He did while He was on earth. What? If you'll partner with Jesus, Jesus Himself said, if you'll partner with Me, there will be some of you that will do greater works on earth than even Jesus Christ Himself did. You mean the same Jesus that fed 5,000 people plus with five loaves and two fishes? You mean the same Jesus that, that, that healed ten lepers at the same time? You're talking about the same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. You're, there are going to be people uh, after Jesus ascends to heaven that partner with the Lord and do greater works than even Jesus did? Well, here we are 2,000 years removed. Has that happened? I would say it has. How about Paul the Apostle who performed miracles like Jesus Christ did? He even raised someone back to the dead the way Jesus did. And you know what he did? He preached to much larger audiences than Jesus ever preached. He went to a, a region much larger than Jesus ever went to. And he preached to crowds probably much larger in size and saw many, many more people convert uh, to faith than Jesus ever saw. Did Paul the Apostle, did he do greater works on earth than Jesus did? I would argue that he did. Let me throw out a couple of more names here, and there are many other names that could be mentioned. Billy Sunday in the 1920s gave up baseball, went down to the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission, got saved there in Chicago, converted to becoming a preacher, and he would travel this country filling up stadiums with people who were not watching him steal bases anymore. They were watching him preach the gospel and see people get saved. Billy Sunday's sermons would get printed on the front page of newspapers like the New York Times and the Chicago Sun-Times and the Baltimore Sun. And his sermons were printed on the front page of newspapers like those. He would go into a town and preach and every bar in town would close down behind him because there wasn't enough business to fill them. People would get saved and give up their drink. Prohibition in part can be credited to Billy Sunday and his preaching. Did Billy, Billy Sunday do things that were greater than Jesus? Well, maybe not in every aspect, but he sure did by volume of people who got saved. He saw tens of thousands of people saved in his lifetime and preached to audiences likely much larger than those that Jesus preached to. How about Billy Graham? I give this disclaimer every time I use Billy Graham in an illustration. I don't agree with everything Billy Graham did. I don't agree with every uh, uh, idea that uh, Billy Graham used or every sermon Billy Graham preached. But Billy Graham, through his life, preached the gospel to tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people, both in person and on television. In fact, there was a meeting, in, I believe it was in South Korea, where in just a handful of days he preached to millions of people in one meeting. There are pictures, you can go online and see pictures of the streets of Seoul, South Korea, filled. I mean filled. It just it, it filled up the, the space, the open-air evangelism space, and down the streets they had speakers set up, mil, over a million people at one time. And there are a lot of Korean churches here in America who got their start because of Billy Graham crusade. 
He, he was responsible for seeing uh, millions of people saved, and he even was a personal mentor and counselor to kings and U.S. presidents throughout his lifetime. These men did not do this through their own might or talent. They did this because they had a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to get from this. Here's what I want you to get from this. We serve a God who is no respecter of persons. And if God can use Paul the Apostle, and God can use Billy Sunday, and God can use Billy Graham, God can use me, and God can use you. And say, oh, I could never preach to millions. You know what it starts with? It starts with you getting on your knees and spending time with the Lord in prayer and being devoted to getting to know your Bible inside and out and you getting a fire down in the bosom of your soul for souls to be saved and you going out and doing the work of the Lord. And from there, you let God do the rest. We all right tonight? Are we listening this evening? Acts chapter 1, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's not on you to be talented. It's on you to be yielded and filled with the Holy Ghost. You make yourself a willing vessel and you have a a walk with the Lord and you are at unity with Jesus who's in heaven. You don't just go to church and open a Bible and listen to preaching and go along your merry way, living life, running the hamster wheel. No, you're in your Bible. You're walking with the Lord. You're loving God. Deep down in your soul, there's a fire that's burning for the Lord and God looks down at you and says, I think I'm going to use Him. I think I'm going to use her to do something great, to do something even greater with them than I did even with Jesus uh, myself on the earth. And you know what? We yield to the Lord and we don't just go through the formalities of religion. We have a relationship with our God. And the Bible says, Jesus said, I will do greater things with you than I even did myself on this earth. Now that might sound like a, a, an exaggerated, hyperbolic statement, but my friend, Jesus meant every word of that. How strong is your alliance with the Lord Jesus Christ? If I could just grab, metaphorically, the shirt collar of every church member, deacon, staff member, even at times myself, and shake us real hard and say, walk with God, walk with God, walk with God. Have a relationship with Him. Not just some formalistic religion. Know God deep down inside. This church would turn this area upside down with the Gospel. Our alliance. Not limited to Paul or Billy Sunday or Billy Graham. The same offer stands for each and every child of God who finds this level of unity in relationship with Jesus Christ. But not only our alliance, our allegiance. Look at verse 15. Here's where the morning and evening sermons will come together. Look at verse 15. If ye love me, what's that say? Keep my commandments. Don't you think it's important we know the commands of Christ? Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep them. Guess what? You can't keep them if you don't know them. That's why we preach them this year. 
If ye love me, keep my commandments. Oh man, I better commit those to long-term memory. I better get them into my living. Now that's pretty straightforward. You know, if my children disrespect me and disobey me, and then before they go to bed at night, come by my room and say, Hey Dad, I love you. Yeah, I'm not going to feel very loved. You know, you, 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 you smarted off to me. You didn't do what I asked you to do. And uh, you, you got a nasty attitude about you. I'm glad my kids aren't this way, but say they were. And then on the way by at nighttime, they want to say, I love you. I'm not going to believe them. And there's a whole lot of Christians who want to live their life how they want and then say to the Lord, I love you. How many still have your bookmark from the beginning of the year with the commands of Christ on it? You got that? Maybe we should reprint those and give them out again to everybody that's misplaced theirs. Do you value those commands? As was highlighted this morning in the preaching, we weren't given these commands so our life would be ruined. We were given these commands so our quality of life would go up. And by the way, rules without relationship equals rebellion. You all understand that? You're not going to keep the, rela- the rules of Christ unless you have a deep relationship with Christ. There's no incentive structure. But as you fall in love with Jesus, well, you can't help but want to obey those rules. This is unity with your Christ. Look down at verse 19. Look down at verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall, all, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Look at that allegiance. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him. So many people in this world searching for love. And the Lord tells you exactly how to be loved of Jesus. Look there, it says, and will manifest myself to him. I'll make myself real to him. I'll show myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that Thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. Jesus answers, said unto him, look here. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Read 24 with me. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So it just comes down to this simple, guys. It's this simple. If you love the Lord, you keep His commandments. If you don't love the Lord, then you don't care about His commandments and you don't keep His commandments. Which one of those describes where you are? Are you actively looking to keep His commandments? Doesn't mean you've got to be perfect at it, but boy, there ought to be a concerted effort there, shouldn't there? You know what that means? You love Jesus. Or you can be over here on this side where, eh, whatever. You know what? I go to church. I'm good. It's 12 o'clock. He's still preaching. 12.05. 
Man, he is on a roll today. When's he going to shut it down? Oh, 12.07, finally. Man, I wonder how many verses of the invitation we're going to have to endure today. Man. Well, check the box. I got church out of the way today. Oh, he's pushing us to come back for church Sunday night. Here comes the guilt trip. We're going to get guilt tripped if we don't get if we don't come back to church tonight. Yep, that makes me a terrible Christian. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, and Wednesday night too. Good night. Man, they just push and push and push around here. You know, I I go to church on Sunday morning. I, that should as long as he preaches, that's like going to church three times in a week. I'm done. I'm out of here. And you walk out and you got nothing from it. Nothing. And you know what? You don't value the commands of Christ. And you know why? Because you don't really love Him deep down in your heart. You don't love Him. That unity, there is an, there is an allegiance. An allegiance. Hey, you want to see a different side of Pastor Lejeune? Start bad-mouthing my wife or my kids. You're going to see another side of Pastor Lejeune. The kind, loving pastor... You're going to see Papa Bear coming out. If I find out you're gossiping about my wife, I might even show up at your front door and knock on it and have a little conversation with you. You know, you ought to be so loyal to the Lord. You'll do anything for Him. There are a handful of men at this church... And I say this after having given it much thought. There are a handful of men in this church that if they were standing next to me and someone were to walk in with a gun and take a shot at me, I think they'd step between me and that bullet because they love me that much. And that is sobering. That is sobering. They're loyal. And they're loyal to me because I've been there for them through some really hard times in their life. You know, um, it's great that you're loyal to a man or you're loyal to a, uh, a spouse or a child. I just want to remind you. I'm, I'm just trying to be very real with everyone tonight. Your pastor did not die on the cross for your sins. And your spouse did not die on the cross for your sins. And your children did not die on the cross, cross for your sins. The Lord Jesus did. And he sure does deserve your loyalty. He's worthy of you getting up tomorrow morning and opening your Bible and reading it. He's worthy of you working at having a relationship with him, even though he's not physically in your presence. He's worthy, isn't he? Are you loyal? Are you loyal to the Lord? You let people run him down and talk bad about him? Use his name in vain? Or do you just take a stand for him? And listen, if you take a stand for Jesus when someone's talking him down, that's great. But being loyal to the Lord is not just standing up against people who take his name in vain. Being loyal to the Lord means that you are there doing what he asks you to do, even to your own hurt. You're willing to take a sacrifice on your schedule and take a sacrifice on uh, whatever it is because if the Lord Jesus requires it of me, then I'm going to give my all to Him because if He can die for me, then I can live for Him. 
We're talking about unity tonight. If you and God are not in lockstep, if you and Jesus are not in unity, I can tell you right now, it's not His fault, it's yours. It's not His fault, it's mine. And oh, how we need to recommit. So many Christians, and this includes me from time to time, their relationship with Jesus can be described in one word, and that is the word lukewarm. Lukewarm. Our Bible reading has gotten stale. Our prayer life has gotten uh, uh, habitual or has completely fallen off or at the best become inconsistent and, and really we don't have time for God like we should. He wakes up, we wake up every morning and He's there waiting for us. He kisses us on the face with His Son. He, 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 he pours down the blessings all over us. We live in the richest country in the history of mankind and we move on throughout the day and we don't even take time to acknowledge that He even exists. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our one-on-one time. He is worthy of our prayer lives. He is worthy of our church attendance. He is worthy of us coming hungry to church to be fed. He is worthy of our service at the church. He is worthy of our financial offerings at the church. He is worthy of all we can give Him. What a great price He's paid for us. And we see... Here this evening, we see the idea of unity. Now, let's move on and look at number three. We see the idea of unction. And this is that word unction means anointing or filling. You can't preach John 14 and not point out the passages of the Holy Ghost because He is, he is how we stay unified with Jesus in heaven. When you believed in Jesus, you got the Holy Ghost living inside of you. And when you submit to the Holy Ghost, He provides to you a set of benefits that make a relationship with Jesus attainable and enjoyable. Letter A, notice, the Holy Ghost is our instructor. He is our instructor. Look at verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. For ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, um, I imagine... That uh, life being a giant test. And in this test, in this test we have, um, uh, we're taking here, you know, I remember being in school taking tests. And, and I didn't study all the time as much as I ought to. And I'd get to test day and I'd end up with this long matching section. You know, like A to Z on one side. And you got, you know, 26, you know, uh, uh, possibilities. And you got to try to get all this matched up. And, and you know what? I, I got to go through and get the easy ones. And, and then I come to the hard ones and uh, intermediate ones. And I, I, I take an educated guess at those. And, and then I'm just writing letters in, right? I mean, I'm just taking guesses. You know what I would have loved? I would have loved to have had the teacher sitting right next to me saying, the answer is B. The answer is F. That one right there, the answer is H. Write it in, H. You know what? When you're saved, if you're yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, as you're going through life trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out where to live and, and, and what house to buy and what car to buy and, 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 and what clothes to wear and what music to listen to and what, uh, and, and what, and, and what, to the young people here, who to marry when you grow up and, and all of the decisions that life has to offer, both little and small, if you're saved, you have the Holy Ghost of God living inside of you and if you'll yield to Him, He'll tell you exactly what to do in each and every situation. 
You know what I love about being married to this lady over here is that when I get stuck and I have a question about how to handle something, I go and sit and talk with her, and she usually gives me some really solid advice. And then sometimes I go over and I talk to Pastor Andrew, and I get some advice from him. And what's funny is when his advice contradicts her advice. Amen? And then uh, I have to land over here because I, you know, I, I, I know where I get my bread buttered. Amen? Or I'll call a pastor friend and I'll say, you know what, I need help with this problem in the church. I don't know how to handle it. And the pastor friend will walk me through how to, how to navigate and move forward. Remember, we had a legal situation here in the church about five years ago. I was lost, and I called Christian Law Association, and I got a lawyer on the phone, a Christian lawyer on the phone, and they walked me through step-by-step how to handle it. I did exactly what they said, and they walked me through how to handle that. You know what's great about having relationships with people is they can help guide you through life's hardships. Now, listen. You have the Holy Spirit to guide you through all of life's hardships. But you cannot access that if you're not yielded to the Lord. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He takes the wisdom of Jesus Christ and He puts it right in your heart. And that's what you get from that unity with God the Son. Letter A, we see that He is our instructor. Now, look out at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things... And bring all things to your remembrance. There's that word from this morning. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, two words here. And the words are righteousness and peace. Righteousness and peace. Righteousness equals peace. Righteousness equals peace. And the Spirit of God leads you into truth, which is righteousness... And that brings about a peace that's in your heart. Letter A, we see the Holy Ghost is our instructor. Letter B, the Holy Ghost is our comforter. Let's look at a handful of verses and we'll shut it down tonight. Look at John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 16. I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter, comforter, that he may be able to abide with you forever. Verse 18. I will not leave you Comfortless, I will come to you. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Look down at verse 27. Jesus says, speaking of the Comforter, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Remember when I was a little boy and I would get hurt. I can remember the feeling of being hurt and feeling alone and and then my mother would walk in the room and this sense of calm would wash over me because even though the pain didn't completely go away, the knowledge that my mother had come by my side to love me and care for me, it just seemed to take the edge off a little bit. How many know what I'm talking about this evening? And you know what? The Holy Ghost is your comforter and life is hard. But you have that great comfort available to you as you walk in unity with the Lord. Every now and then we need to come to church and we need to take a serious evaluation as it pertains to our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hey, two things can be true at the same time. The first thing can be true is that you do have some relationship with Jesus Christ. But the second thing that can be true is that there's room for improvement. Don't we all believe that we have some room for improvement in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we walking in unity? Hey, you know how I know that White Oak Baptist Church has room to improve? Because we don't have too many people here doing greater works than Jesus Christ. That was the promise if we walk in unity. How about you tonight? You see, I can look around the room and I can hyperanalyze every one of your hearts. I'm the shepherd here. I have a pretty good idea of where each one of you are. Where each one of you have, you know, a problem. But you know where I have to start is not with you, it's with me. And where you need to start tonight is not with your spouse or your children or your friends or the person sitting across the room. You need to start with yourself. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus Christ? Do you have religion without a relationship? Or do you have a religion of relationship? Lord, I pray tonight you'd help all of us to take an honest, sincere look at our walk with you. Lord God, our churches are full of people who are just going through the motions of ceremonialism and ritualism. What you did when you came to this earth was create a way for us to have a relationship. Oh, Lord God, please help us to take a sincere look. You went to the Father's side and said, please don't forget to walk with me. Please don't forget to have unity with me. Please don't forget to love me by keeping my commandments. Help us, Lord, to take a strong look at our alliance and our allegiance this evening. Lord God, help us to make decisions to improve in these areas. Holy Spirit of God, I've done my part to preach. I ask that you do your part to convict. Lord God, would you please help us tonight. Work in our hearts. Show us where we can grow. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our